Well, good morning. We're good today? Is Florence having a good day? Hey, I need you guys here in Florence to put your hands together and help me welcome everybody watching through that campus in Lawrenceburg. Everybody online, thank you guys so much for being here. We are in week three of this series we have entitled Sola Food. My name's Adam. If you don't know me, I am one of the pastors here, and I'm so excited to be with you today, to be in this series. Um, as I was getting ready, like physically, like putting clothes on, I, I fully intended on wearing my Tua jersey today. That was my plan. Um, but we're praying. It's all right. But then as I was getting ready, I told my wife, and she advised me against it. Um, but we are in this series where we're talking about the, the five solas of the Reformation, and one of my all-time heroes is this man named Martin Luther, so I, I had to wear my Martin Luther shirt. Is that all right? Had to, had to wear my Martin Luther shirt as we celebrate, um, and we talk about this, this breakthrough that happened in the history of the world that we now know as the Protestant Reformation. Um, all he knew was that he had seen some, some teachings and some practices, um, and at the time, the Roman Catholic Church and as he was diving into scripture and he was seeing what the word of God said and he was seeing what was taking place inside the Catholic church, he started having some issues because he didn't see how the, the traditions and practices of the church at the time were matching up with the word of God. And so Martin Luther kind of takes this, this bold stance, right? In 1517, if you remember from history class, he, he goes to the, the castle church in Wittenberg and People argue, did he nail the thesis to the wall or did he just hand them out? Whatever, he, he makes this bold um, statement going in direct opposition to the Catholic Church, which at the time was a really, really bad idea if you liked your health and your well-being because the Catholic Church was very, very powerful. It was very corrupt. It was very political, and it had all the power in the day. But Martin Luther had an issue with that, and so he makes this statement and he goes viral before viral was a thing, right? Like if Twitter had been around, Martin Luther would have been trending in every single area because his message shook the church at its core. See, if you're here today, whether you're in Florence, you're in Lawrenceburg, you're watching somewhere around the world, and you grew up Baptist or Church of Christ or Methodist or, or non-denominational, if you grew up as a Christian that is not Catholic, then you can trace your history as a Protestant. Those are all Protestant denominations. You can trace your history back to the protest. That's what Protestant comes from. It was a protest to the teachings of the Catholic Church. And Martin Luther and all the other reformers began seeing these teachings, and they're like, hold up. Primarily, there were two books that Martin Luther and the reformers began to dive into and look at, and they were the books of Romans and the book of Galatians, Okay. Romans, think about it as kind of offense. So Romans tells us what the gospel is, and it kind of goes on the offensive, telling you what the gospel of Jesus is. Galatians is like defense. It tells you what the gospel is not, okay? So it, it defends the gospel. It kind of holds the bar, and then Romans pushes it forward. And, and Martin Luther specifically, his favorite, um, and I got proof, he fell in love with this book known as Galatians. He actually said this, uh, Martin Luther said, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. I have married myself to it. It is my wife. Now, you know you are a Bible nerd when you say you love a book of the Bible like you love your wife, okay? Now, he was, he was not married. This was his, like, he was married to it, right? And he, he began to give his life to what this book 
and what Scripture taught about what it meant to be a Christ follower. See, as you dive into that, we're going we're gonna to spend some time in the writings today. We're going to start in the book of Galatians, since that was Martin Luther's favorite. Because just like in Martin Luther's day, just like in the days of the Apostle Paul, like the gospel needs defending in our day. That there are, there are people, we have an enemy out there that wants to do everything he can to thwart what God wants to do through his gospel. You see, when we talk about the enemy, we talk about good and evil, so many of us get this picture in our mind of the little red devil and the little white angel, right? And you got like, which, which voice am I going to listen to today? We get, it's Halloween, we've been going to the costume stores and seeing all around, right? And the, so many people, when they think good and evil, they think Mother Teresa and Freddy Krueger, right? And like, that's pretty easy to tell the difference, right? Like, oh, horror film, like, you know, Lifetime, Good Channel, like, that's, that's good and evil. The truth, when you really start diving into the tactics of the enemy, which have been the same since the start, we have an enemy out there that, that has one trick. He's not a creator. He can't come up with new things. From the beginning of humanity, the only trick he's got is he wants to take what God has created, to take what God has put into motion, and he wants to just tweak it, right? He doesn't totally like go off in left field somewhere. That's not, the, that's not how he works. So it's not Mother Teresa and Freddy Krueger. It's way more subtle than that. He just wants to, to change it just a little bit. Just pervert the truth of God just enough that it looks like this is right. This is, this, is what it, this is what we should live like. And it's exactly what Martin Luther and the Reformers saw happening in the Catholic Church. And if I could just be honest with you, it's exactly what we see in the church today. It's just, it's just off. Just that much. And so this entire series as we've been diving into the sola Right? That's a Latin word that means alone. It's getting us back to the basics of the gospel and what the word of God, what, what the gospel really was. Week one, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Steve talked about this idea of sola scriptura, that, that scripture alone is what we base our beliefs on, that we, we base our lives on. It's not tradition. It's not culture. It's not what the church tells us to do or your mom and dad told you you should do. Like it Scripture, show me in the word where it says that you should do that or you should not do that. If you can't show me in the word, then you are wrong. Sola scriptura. Week two, we talked about this idea of sola gratia, grace alone, right? That it's the amazing grace of God that gives us the hope that we have. Today, we're going to talk about this idea of solus Christus, right? Christ alone. And this has been something that has been battled for hundreds of years, and we're still fighting for it today. The Apostle Paul fought for it, Martin Luther fought for it, and we're going to fight for it today. And ultimately, it's this idea, it is an attack on what theological minds call the sufficiency of Christ. Is Christ enough? When we talk about the gospel and the good news and when you go back to the reformers and the message that they were going against, if you're here and you're a Christian, like at some point you've, you've come to this realization that you're broken, that because of sin that there's this gap between you and God and that somehow you have to close that gap in order to spend eternity with him. If you're a Christian, that's what you believe. What the reformers were, were going against the Catholic Church on was how does that happen? 
Like, what is that process? How do I become saved? What do I have to do? Who has the authority of salvation? Who has the ability to give grace and to give forgiveness? And that's what the message was about. And so that's where we're going to get back to. It's the basics of the gospel. So we're going to pick up in the book of Galatians. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians 1. If not, it'll be up on the screen. A little context of where we're going. The Apostle Paul has um, went around. He was not a pastor in that he would go and start these churches and then pastor them for 40 years. Paul would go into an area. He would plan a church. He would raise up a leader in that area, train them, make sure they were good, and then he would leave, and he would go start another church. That's what Paul did. He was a church planter. He was an apostle, right? So he had all these different churches that he kind of oversaw, right? Like here at Faith, we are a multi-site church. Got our site in Florence, we've got our site in Lawrenceburg. That is not a new thing. Like multi-site goes all the way back to Paul. He had multiple sites, multiple churches that all fell under his leadership. But where we pick up in Galatians 1, after Paul had left and these people had, had bought the gospel and they'd gotten saved, all of a sudden in Paul's absence, there was this other group of people that had come in called Judaizers. They were, they were old school Jewish people that were coming in trying to sort of reintroduce the law into the message that Paul had preached so that, that the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ, that, that they brought these traditions and this culture and these practices back in and Paul got word of it and they started challenging the authority of Paul. Like who does Paul think he is that he could come against the, the Jewish traditions and Jewish cultures just like People were saying about Martin Luther, like, who do you think you are that you can come against the Catholic Church? Who to Paul, who do you think you are that you can challenge the Jewish law that has been here for hundreds of years? And Paul gets word of this, that there are these people challenging him and challenging the message of Jesus in the church that he had started. And here's what he said. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we pick up. He says, this letter's from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. See, when we talk about the gospel, we talk about the good news, there's three things I want you to know about when we talk about Jesus, right? Three like really, really big ideas. Three things to know about Jesus. Number one, I want you to know that Jesus works for you. Jesus works for you. When we talk about salvation, I don't know how you were raised or what you were taught, but maybe at some point... You've heard somebody say something to the likes of, hey, you're not saved by works. And that's partly true. You're not saved by your works. But you are absolutely saved by Jesus' works. You are absolutely saved by the works that Jesus did for you. And Martin Luther and the Reformers knew exactly what Paul knew back in Galatians. He knew that you were only saved by the work that Jesus does that it's solus Christus, it's Christ alone. He works for you. So I don't care who you are. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care where you did it. I don't care who, how you were brought, brought up. I don't care how much money you make, how long you've been in church. 
Maybe you're not even in church. You're listening to me through a camera on the radio right now. What I want you to know is that Jesus came to this earth for you. He was born for you. We celebrate Christmas 65 days, if you didn't know, 65 days to Christmas. That's a warning to some of you. Get ready. 65 days, we will celebrate the birth of our Savior, right? When you celebrate Christmas this year, I want you to remember that Jesus was born for you. And he would have been born for you if he were the only person that he needed to be born for. It was for you, individually. Don't get caught up and he came to die for the world. He did, but you're the world. He was born for you. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life for you. And he died the death that you could not die to pay the debt that you could not pay for you. And he would have died it if you were the only person that he needed to die for. When he was hanging on that cross, I want you to know that it was your sin that put him there. And he was thinking of you. He died for you. And guess what? He came back from the dead for you. He ascended to heaven for you, and Scripture tells us that right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding or praying for you. And one day, we read in the end, one day he's going to come back for you. See, Jesus works for you. And I don't care what anybody else has ever told you. I don't care what anybody else has ever told you it requires. The good news of the gospel is since Jesus works for you, you don't have to work for you. And that's good news because you're not good enough to work for you. You're not smart enough. You can't do enough good things to work for you. Even the apostle Paul knew that. Look at what he says. Romans chapter 7, verses 15, and then 18 through 19. This is, I feel like this every single day of my life, by the way. Like this is, I feel like I could have wrote this. I said, I don't really understand myself. Paul's like, of all the good things he's done, of all the impact he's made on this world, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Anybody else feel like that? Like, man, like, God, I want to do right. Like, I know I shouldn't do that. I know I shouldn't say that. I know I shouldn't go there. I know I shouldn't look at that. I know I shouldn't think that, but why do I do it? And the message of the Apostle Paul is the same message of the gospel. It's that, that you can't earn it because you're not good enough. You can't find it. You can't win it. And the good news of the gospel is if you can't do anything to win it, then you can't do anything to lose it. Because see, Jesus works for you. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 1, he, he prayed this prayer that God would give you Grace and peace. Grace and peace. And that, that God would give you those things. Last week, week two, Pastor Steve was talking about um, Publishers Clearinghouse, right? And what it would be like if, 
if they showed up at your door one day with $26 million on a check for you, and all week I started like wrestling with these thoughts of like, what would I do for $26 million? And I'll be honest, I was kind of embarrassed by the answers. Because I'd do a lot for $26 million. Right? Like I have no doubt in my mind, if I had a briefcase up here with $26 million, and I said the first person to strip butt naked and run around this room three times gets this briefcase, there'd be a whole lot of naked people running laps. Right? You know who you are. Like some of you are already like, oh, you don't have it? Okay. Okay, good. Put it back on. You know you would do it. And I know you would do it because you know what? There are people that do terrible things for way less than $26 million. People that sell their bodies daily for way less than $26 million. There are people that hurt other people. People that kill other people for way less than $26 million. And do you know why they do it? Because somewhere in their heart, somewhere in their mind, they think that that $26 million is going to give them grace and peace. They think that's going to somehow fill that hole, make up that gap. I won't have these problems. I won't have these struggles. Think about how good my life would be. I wouldn't have to worry. I wouldn't have to fear. And the truth, even though I would like to try it, is that's not true. Because you see, you can do the research and you can, you can look it up. There are billionaires all over the world that have no hope, no peace, no joy. The depression rates are through the roof. Suicide rates are through the roof. And they've got billions, more money than they could ever spend in their life. See, money will not give you grace and peace. No thing will give you grace and peace. No possession will give you grace and peace because the only place you can find those two things is in the person of Jesus. It's Christ alone. And he does it for you. Grace and peace. It's a gift. The problem is that we aren't very good at accepting gifts, are we? If you'd be honest in church, how many of you in here would like raise your hand and say, I am not good at accepting gifts? Raise your hand. Yeah, like, I, hey, let me, I, I, I got your lunch today. No, 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 I got it, no. And so then you sit there and argue back and forth at the register of who's going to pay, right? You can't accept a blessing. You can't receive a gift. Do you know why that's true of you? Do you know why you stink at accepting gifts? It's one word, pride. It's because you're proud. You don't want somebody else to do something for you because that makes you feel like, well, I, I mean, I can't, like, I got the money, I can pay for it. Like, no, I, I got it. No, I got it, right? All you men are out there, like, loading up your truck, and you're, like, sweating and dying. Like, hey, let me help you. No, 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 I got it. I got it. Like, you don't got it. Let me help you. No, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I don't need anybody because I'm proud. See, especially in our culture today, we pride ourselves on performance. We're a performance-driven culture. And it starts at a young age, early on. If you want good grades in school, what do you got to do? You got to study, right? You got to pass the test. You want to get a good scholarship to a good college, what do you got to do? You got to make a certain score on a test. 
and we'll spend hundreds of dollars on ACT prep. We'll pay to take that test six, seven times because we know if you don't make the score, you don't get the scholarship. That's how it works. As a kid, you want your allowance. What'd you have to do? You had to do your chores. Did you do your chores? If you did your chores, you get your allowance. Move on. We get into the sports world, right? You want to win the game, you got to outscore the opponent, right? You got to beat them. You got to win it. That translates into the work environment. You want the commission, you got to make the sale. You got to close the deal. You want the paycheck, you got to put in the hours. We've even got these, these sayings that we throw out, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no such thing as a free ride. You get what you pay for. You get what you earn. My favorite, if it's too good to be true, what? Probably is. That's the culture that we live in, in which we operate. And yet when you look at the gospel of Jesus, he comes in and is like, time out. All of that is gone. You don't do the work, I do the work. You don't pay the debt, I pay the debt. You don't have to be good enough because I'm good enough. You don't do anything, I do everything. And we as Americanized Christians, right, who've bought into this lie of the enemy that's just toward the gospel just enough for us to think, no, no, no. I mean, I got to, I know Jesus, you got, but I got to do something. Like, I got to, and Jesus is saying, no, that's not my message at all. I work for you. You just have to humble yourself enough to receive what I have for you. See, Jesus works for you. Second thing I want you to know if you're taking notes, write it down. Number two is that Jesus works in you. See, once you get to this place that you understood what Jesus has done for you, right, through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, you understand what Jesus has done for you, all of a sudden you realize that Jesus begins to work in you. That like you think differently, like you become a different person. The things that were fun at one point aren't as fun anymore. Like you want to do better. You want to grow. You come to church on a Sunday morning when most of you were up until 1 a.m. watching the Bama-Tennessee game, and yet you got up because like, I, gotta, I need to go to church. I need to learn. I want to grow. That's the reason you're here. You start doing stuff that don't make sense because Jesus is working in you. The apostle Paul knew this. Look what he said. Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. Paul said, we put no confidence in human effort. He said, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. None of us can say that, I promise you. Paul was a freak when it came to obeying the law. His entire life was dedicated to it. But you see, something happened and he met Jesus and his his mindset changed. What was in him changed. And then he says this, I once thought all those things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. 
For I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. See, Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. No one could compare their life and their work to him. He was the smartest. He was the most influential. He did everything he had to do. He was it when it came to religious people. And in the end, he says, you know what? It's all, it's all worthless. It's all, it's all garbage because once Jesus came into his life, Jesus did a work in him and it changed him. And he went from persecuting and killing Christians to spreading the gospel. He went from hating Jesus and everything that he stood for to loving Jesus and giving his life for it. See, something shifted. Something changed. It was the gospel. It was Jesus working in Paul. It was the gospel. You see, so many Christians, we mess up and we we get it wrong because, see, the gospel isn't just evangelism. If I'd taken a poll of this room and I would go around to a lot of Christians in here and I'm like, hey, what's the, what's the gospel? Most of you probably been in church for long enough that you'd say something like, the gospel's the good news of Jesus. Like, it's, it's, the, it's, it's what Jesus did. It's, it's the fact that Jesus saves. That's what we, Jesus saves. And that's partly true. The gospel is absolutely the salvation of Jesus. And, but the problem is that you miss the boat if you think that the gospel is just the on-ramp to the Christian life. What you need to know is that the gospel is the Christian life. It's the whole thing. It's not just how you get in. It's how you operate when you're in. It's how you live your life. Everything that you do is the gospel. See, God works for you on the cross. And then he begins to work in you through the power of his spirit. He begins to change you. See, this is good news for some people when you look at this because you can't change you. You can't fix you. You can't change your thoughts. You can't change your heart. Some of you in here need to know You can't fix your spouse. You can't change your kid. You can't fix the depression. You can't fix the anxiety. You can't can't solve the addiction. You can't do it. And yet you lose sleep and you lay awake at night crying, losing all your peace and all your hope because you're thinking, what do I have to do? What, what do What do I have to do? Let me work. Let me try. Let me... See, the message of the gospel is that Jesus does the work. It's Christ alone. He's in you. He works to save you. He works to change you, to make you more like him. And then it keeps going on, and not only does he work to save you, he works to keep you saved. Look at what Jesus himself said. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I, what's that next word? I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand, for the Father and I are one. 
She didn't do anything to win it. You can't do anything to lose it. And I promise you, you're not more powerful than God, so you can't even pry yourself out of his hand. That's the gospel. It doesn't just save you. It changes you. It makes you whole, and then it keeps you till the day of redemption. That's what Scripture says. It's Christ alone. It's his work for you, in you, and then number three, Jesus works through you. Jesus works through you. See, Paul didn't didn't stop and just become this this forgiven saint to live the rest of his life okay that he was saved, that he was made whole. There was no one more zealously opposed to Jesus before his salvation than Paul, but there was no one more zealously for the message and gospel of Jesus than Paul after he was saved. When you study the missionary journeys of Paul and and where he went and all that he did, when you do the math and you track it out, Paul would walk 20 miles a day spreading the gospel, telling people about Jesus. There are 27 books in the New Testament. We know for a fact that Paul wrote at least 13 of them. The authorship of the book of Hebrews is sort of like up for debate. Most theologians think he wrote Hebrews. So that would mean that Paul wrote 14 of 27 books. So he wrote the majority of the books of the New Testament. When you look at just sheer volume, you look at word count, the book of Luke is actually the longest book in the New Testament. It's got more words. It's got more content. As a church, we're doing a reading plan through the book of Luke right now together. If you're not on board, you can grab a reading plan on your way out. We've got some cards for you. When we talk about Paul, did you know that Luke and Paul were best friends? Luke was a historian and a physician. In fact, he was Paul's physician, and Paul was his pastor, mentor. Luke was a Gentile that got saved under the ministry of Paul. You see, after Jesus, there is no one more influential in the history of Christianity than the Apostle Paul. There's no one that's a bigger character in the story to get us as Christians to where we are today. But all the accolades and all the work that he did, I want you to know that they were not works that Paul did for Christ. They were works that Christ did through Paul. He said it this way, 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul said this, but whatever I am now, all the good I've done, all the churches I've planted, all the messages I've preached, all the people that have been saved, all the lives restored, whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results, for I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Again, Paul's saying, I've, I've went harder in the paint than anybody you can point to. Then he says, but it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. See, Paul didn't do any of those things to earn God's love. He didn't do any of the things. He didn't do any of the journeys. He didn't preach any of the messages, hoping that he could earn the favor of God. He did it because he knew he already had the grace and favor of God. He knew what God had done in his life. And he knew that not only had Jesus worked for him and in him, but Jesus was working through him. Jesus changed him. And then through the life of Paul, Jesus worked through Paul to change the world for the rest of time. 
Jesus works through you. You know the best part of all this? That he saves you, that he changes you, that he keeps you. The gospel is that if he did it for Paul, and he did, if he did it for Martin Luther and the reformers, did it for me, and he did, then he'll do it for you. He'll save you. He'll change you. He'll make you whole. He'll put the broken pieces back together again. And that's why Paul was so for the gospel. He fought so hard for it. This is how he finishes up in Galatians 1, verses 6 through 7. Paul says to this church who began to buy a lie, he said, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. You see, in the church in Galatia, these, these Gentiles had, had met Jesus. He changed their life. They were experiencing life like they'd never experienced before, and yet the lie came in. The enemy showed up, and he just changed it just enough, tweaked it just enough. It's, what they did was they said, hey, yes, Jesus, and all that he did, but it's, it's not just Jesus. It's not Christ alone. It's Jesus plus, and then they had all these blanks that they started filling in. And for many of you here, whether you're in Florence, you're in Lawrenceburg, for many of you here, you've got your own blanks. That the way to salvation, the way to fullness, the way to happiness is Jesus plus, and then you fill in the blank. I heard a pastor say it one time this way, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. There's no joy, there's no hope, there's no peace. See, it's not Jesus plus Mary, Jesus plus a priest or a pope. It's not Jesus plus purgatory or Jesus plus indulgences. The message of the gospel is the most simple of all messages. It is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's the life that you want. It's the hope that you can't find anywhere else. It's the peace that you lay awake at night wishing you had. It's just Jesus. It's the message that saves you. It's the message that changes you. It's the message that sustains you as his child. And it's a gift. And all you have to do is humble yourself and receive it. It's a gift. And the good news is that God wants to give it to some of you here today. For some of you, it might be the gift of salvation, that you've never understood truly the gospel of Jesus, that, that he's done it all, that it's not you. And you've lived your life trying to do enough good. The old Baptist question, right? If you were to die tonight, where would you go? 
the worst answer I can ever hear anybody say isn't, I don't know. That's a good place to be. The worst answer anybody can ever give to that question is, well, I hope. I hope I go to heaven. Hope I did enough good. That is a terrible place to live your life. Hoping that you're good enough because the truth is you are not. But he is. So for some of you, you just need to receive that gift today. For some of you, you need to receive the gospel in a different way. You understand salvation, that God's moved in your life, but you're doing all you can do to change your circumstances and your situation, and you have no peace in your life because you're trusting on on your hard work and your own efforts, and you need to hear that the message of the gospel is that you have to trust in him, that he's your source, that he's your provider, that he's your protector. That's the gospel. And for some of you, that's the gift that you need to receive today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know which of those areas you land in. But if you're here and you know that you need to receive the gift of the gospel in whatever way that is for you today, that you need the grace and you need the peace of Jesus, I want you to raise your hand wherever you're at. Father, you see the hands. God, you see the hearts. You see, God, the struggles that everyone here is facing, God. And I pray for for those who, who need salvation, God, that you would move in their life. God, that you would impact their heart in a way that they would see you maybe like they've never seen you before. That they would rest knowing that you have paid the price for them. Paid in full that they don't have to pay it on their own. And God, for the others, I pray that they would embrace the peace that only you can give them, the joy of living in you, of your hope, of your grace and mercy, of your gospel, Father. Move in the hearts of these people today because you're the only one can do it, Father. Solus Christus, it is Christ alone because it's in his name that we pray. If you believe that, you say amen? amen? Guys, thank you so much for being here. I love you. I hope you have an awesome day. Come back next week for week four of Solar Food. We'll see you then.